0: This is your award-winning BCFM on 93.2, 24 hours a day. Good morning and welcome to One Love, One Planet, the award winning environmental radio show here on BCFM, where we talk all things environmental in Bristol, the UK, and the rest of the world. My name is Shona Jemphrey. I'm presenting this programme for several months while the amazing Penny Southgate has a very well deserved rest and recharges her batteries. We're going to be looking at some news stories related to the environment, both in Bristol and further afield. We're going to play some tunes, and today we have not one but two very special guests in the studio. Later, on we will be hearing from annika from the pernambuco group which is a new strings collective raising support for the music for trees project and before then we will be chatting to long-term local litter fighting legend of bristol steve woods steve how are you Good
1: morning, Shona. Good morning, listeners. How are you?
0: Very good, thank you. Yeah, nice and close to the microphone so we can hear you. That's great. Um, welcome to Unloved One Planet. Thank you for joining us. Settle in for what has sure to be an interesting hour. If you have any thoughts um, on what's going on, you can uh, email us in the studio, studio at bcfmradio.com. And so we will get cracking, should we get cracking straight on with our news, Steve, and sort of see what's happening and see what our views yes, by are? By all means. Yeah, let's crack on. Okay. So, lots of news happening in the world at the minute. Um, the Guardian's got a few headlines that are interesting. One is um, Weather Tracker, power prices dip to negative in Europe amid a clean energy boost. Low demand combined with sunny conditions and meltwater lifts hydro and solar production. Over the last week, several European countries had power prices in the wholesale energy market dip into negative values during daylight hours. The decline in prices was mostly driven by the abundance of available energy generated by renewable sources, combined with the relatively low demand for energy for heating or cooling. And the situation occurred due to an area of high pressure dominating across much of Central and Northwest Europe, providing lots of solar power generation across the area. So that's quite positive. Um, some other, some more dramatic uh, news. Um, COP twenty eight president's team has been accused of Wikipedia greenwashing. Do you use Wikipedia much, Steve? Is it something? Yes,
1: <laughs> I'm a I'm a long term Wikipedia editor. I oh, was-
0: are you one of the people who contributes to it? Uh- well,
1: I I have I have been editing it for about 10 years now oh. and various things yes
0: oh wow so you probably knew all the all the, all the background to it because it's all voluntary isn't it the people who edit it it is
1: yes they're all volunteers
0: yeah so um the well critics say that apparently the UAE the uh, United Arab Emirates is using the site to try and control the narrative amid criticism of the an oil boss leading the climate summit the COP28 president Sultan Al Jaber has been accused of attempting to greenwash his image after it emerged that members of his team had edited Wikipedia pages that highlighted his role as CEO of the the Abu Dhabi National Oil Company. Uh, The UAE government, which controls about 6% of the world's oil reserves, has been criticised for appointing a fossil fuel boss as head of COP28, which will be held in Dubai in November. Last week, 130 US and EU lawmakers called on Al Jaber to be removed from his post as the summit's president. Um, Other news across the world, outcry as Brazil Congress moves to gut environment and indigenous ministry. Uh, There is a plan to drastically dilute bodies' powers, which would deal a severe blow to Lula's attempt to reverse Bolsonaro's era of Amazon devastation. So obviously, Bolsonaro, the previous... um, Leader of Brazil was uh, very right wing, um, considered uh, absolutely awful for the Amazon and for the environment. And when Lula was elected, this was considered hopefully really positive for uh, the environment and for the Amazon rainforest. But um, there has been the Congress is still Reasonably right wing and has moved to drastically dilute the powers of the environment and indigenous peoples ministries in what campaigners have called a potentially crippling blow to efforts to protect indigenous communities and the Amazon. By 15 votes to three, a congressional committee approved draft legislation that would strip the environment ministry and ministry of indigenous peoples of various powers. There is a major outcry. One report suggests that Lula's administration is is considering a legal challenge to the changes. I got emailed um, a petition link by Avaz, who are running a petition amongst various various countries who uh, invest in Brazil asking for this to be uh, repealed. So have a look out for that if that's something that you're interested in. More local news. Um, I don't know if you heard about this, Steve. Apparently, Bristol area bus passengers will get free travel in their birthday month. Did you hear about this?
1: Um, I did indeed, yes. Seeing as I'm well advanced in years now, I get concessionary travel anyway. You've got a free
0: bus pass anyway. Is this something that if you were younger, you would be, how would you be reacting to it?
1: Well, I think I'd be more interested.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean,
1: the thing was, I, I I didn't bother with buses for for many many years because they're always so dreadful, and if you really had to get somewhere on time in Bristol, the last thing you relied upon was the local bus services
0: absolutely yeah it's it's certainly something that's been an ongoing saga um but yeah apparently people living in bristol and the surrounding area are to get free bus travel during the month of their birthday the new eight million pound plan which will see eligible people given bus passes starts in july and is going to run until next june the scheme is part of plans to get more people using public transport anybody living in the bristol bath south gloucestershire and North East somerset area can apply for it's called the birthday bus pass um you have to supply proof of living in the area uh, the plan has been announced by the west of england combined authority um, it aims to give people enough time to get in the habit of using buses more often as well as to help commuters who are struggling with rising fuel costs and inflation applications will be able to be made online on the birthday bus website which is a great name um, and a pass will be sent out in the post um, so that's a bbc headline um, yeah, and then a uh, final local headline, plans for St. Jude Street to be pedestrianised. A community in St. Jude's has put forward a plan to Bristol City Council to pedestrianise a well-used cut-through in their area. The Old Market Community Association want to close St. Matthias Park to motorists in a bid to make it safer for pedestrians and cyclists, while also providing a public space for the community to enjoy. As well as shutting off St. Matthias Park, they also want the council to reverse new streets, new one-way system to provide a tree-lined avenue with segregated bike paths and parking that's a headline in bristol 24-7 so Good. yeah steve any thoughts on any of those headlines or any other headlines that have grabbed your attention this week
1: right well i thought with with the st Myers, st matthias park thing <coughs> i mean it's virtually a dead end anyway yeah you re- one really has to know where where one's going and be to get anywhere out of there you, yeah, I don't think it does a lot on sat navs and everything. No, it's no. right behind
0: the back of the volunteer um pub isn't it? Yeah. And there's and I could see, you know, drivers who don't know the area maybe backing into there or very fast motorcycles maybe going through mm. and I think the community want to Try and reclaim it a bit because a lot of people walk in the road in that area. Oh, I anyway, do. <laughs> yeah, I do. Um, and it is quite. needs a nice area for the kids to play in in summer. So we might try and get someone from that campaign on in the future in order to tell us more about it. Wasn't but,
1: that one by the Old Market Community Association that came up with that?
0: Yeah, yeah, that's right. Ah,
1: they're constantly having good ideas about how to reorganize the roads around there
0: <laughs> oh nice well we will yeah maybe we'll get them in there to give us uh to give us some some of those ideas um but yeah talking of good ideas uh let's get into Steve while you're here um because so you have been tackling litter and fly tipping in the city you're just you're're you're not an elected anything you're just someone who's very passionate about this and you've been doing it for about 12 years or so is that right
1: yes that's right i'm a, I'm a volunteer,
0: a volunteer. Uh,
1: right and seeing as i'm now retired i've got even more time to to deal with it
0: <laughs> amazing so um yeah what so people i mean mo- many people listening will be aware of it but some might not so what is fly tipping and is it actually illegal
1: well fly tipping is the illegal dumping of waste um anywhere on places like the public highway or on private land and the only people who are well who are very familiar with Bristol might have seen these large 1600 litre euro bins as they're called the big the big rubbish bins both owned by the council and commercial now then if stuff goes in the bin that's fine. If it's outside the bin, that's not fine. And under the Environmental Protection Act, if you get prosecuted and found guilty of fly tipping, you could be in line for six months in jail and or a £50,000 fine. And if any vehicle has been identified as being used for your fly-tipping, you could also lose the vehicle as well. I have known court cases where that's happened.
0: Wow. So so even if it's, like, next to the big bin, it's still it's still that's, illegal. And that's fly-tipping, yes. Fly tipping. And yes. if you're identified, then you could face serious consequences.
1: Yes. Although I think our local... You know, our two neighbouring local authorities to Bristol, that's North East Somerset and South Gloucestershire, I've seen reports on the Bristol Post website of both them, both of them taking people to court and getting the, getting them named and shamed, as well as fined and award costs awarded against them for fly tipping. Bristol seems to have a different approach. It'll be kept quiet, but you're still in line for a, a fixed penalty notice of at least four hundred pounds, and that might be considerably considerably more than if you'd got taken to court.
0: So, and the idea is that people, if it's, I mean, if it's domestic waste, people should be taking it to the local recycling centre. Is that the idea?
1: Yes, that's right. AKA the tip.
0: AKA the, <laughs> more commonly known as the tip. <laughs> the tip and we've yeah. got a couple in, in Bristol. Um, yeah,
1: there's one, there's three now. There's Avonmouth, there's St. Philip's, and there's the Hartcliffe one as well, which opened last year
0: yeah and those are yeah and i think they've changed the system for those for so now you have to pre-book because previously there were some very long queues to get in them but yes I think, that's right I they've tried
1: various things over the years like one day odd number registration registrations next day even number and the other thing is you can also visit them on on a bike you can't just walk in for some reason seeing as once everybody's in there, they all get out of the cars, walk around, and throw their rubbish in the big concrete bins anyway.
0: But, but you, if you're and bringing stuff in on a bike, you're yes.
1: allowed. And the fact that you can't walk in is, particularly in an, in an area like, say, the Eastern and Lawrence Hill, which has got the lowest rate of car, a very, very low rate of car ownership. I mean, how are people, you know, how are people supposed to get... They're rubbish to the to the tip if you can't walk it in.
0: Very good point. Um, yeah. and then the idea being that if you are looking if you're a business, then you are part of your responsibility as a business is to dispose of your waste properly. And the idea yes, being you that-
1: have to have a you have to have a proper business waste contract and the counts council enforcement could come wandering into your premises and show same show me your contract and you they can issue what's called a section 47 notice i think it is where you have to you have to show give evidence to the council that your waste management contract is appropriate to your business
0: great okay so
1: and households can also get i think it's a section 46 which you know if say if they don't feel like prosecute if they've got evidence, if the council's got evidence that you've been fly tipping either by putting rubbish outside your, pla- outside your front door and then expecting the council to clear it up, if they haven't got sufficient evidence to prosecute you, they, they can issue you with a section 46, which is that, I um, mean, any more, you know, which is a bit like a, a lawyer's cease and desist more than anything.
0: Right, so if you keep doing it, then you will get fined, or you will get prosecuted. You will in get a visit. <laughs> okay, and so if people are seeing fly tipping going on and feeling frustrated by it, because obviously it's, um, yeah, I mean it, it's it's damaging for the local environment. It can block high, you know, pavements and yeah. paths and everything. If people see fly tipping happening,
1: it what- attracts vermin. Yeah. It also make it also. It's also depressing. I mean, let's face it. You know, we're living as a city. If you see a big, a big minging pile like that, it's not exactly going to make your day feel happy, is it? And it increases the fear of feeling of insecurity and all that.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, it's but sort
1: of, if you want to deal with it,
0: yeah. So, yes. if you want to deal with it, if you see it happening or you come across a big pile, how can you? What can you do about it?
1: Right. The easiest way is to do it online. And I know everybody doesn't have access to the Internet, but the council does provide if you get onto the council switchboard, they will help you from there. But if you have got access to online, it's very, very simple. It will take you under a minute or and a minute, 30 seconds just to do it. Right. It. Where is it? How big is it? Have you got any evidence? If you've got any evidence. And you tick yes. As in
0: evidence the, by who as as to who did it. As
1: to who is the perpetrator, that could be something like, oh, you saw you saw a car turn up and somebody like, throw a sofa out onto the pavement next to the bins.
0: Yeah. Now and then
1: s- the car registration and the time and you as an eyewitness I mean if you've got one of these nice little smartphones, you can either Video it or voice recording,
0: or you, you can take
1: photographs as well. Yeah,
0: you said you've 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 videoed someone before who was doing it, and you were able to submit that as evidence when you saw ah. them doing it in the act.
1: Uh, no, I didn't. I actually I actually made an audio recording. Oh, an audio recording. Yes. Sorry.
0: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and so the um so if so if you know who or the other thing is if you find an address attached to the um. attached to the waste then you can submit that is that right
1: that's right too yes
0: yeah and so once that's been submitted um so but but you don't have to have the evidence to report it so if you see it you don't know who did it but it's still posing you know a hazard it's illegal you can still report it and then the council will hopefully come and clear it up
1: yes within within it's now three working days of the report that's the that's the promise. It doesn't always happen.
0: But that's <laughs> some what, get
1: some slip through the net.
0: But that's what you're that's what they're yeah. aiming for, yeah.
1: Um other things you can report are things like overflowing litter bins. Um, abandoned bicycles is a good one. You have to report those as litter as well.
0: Okay. But
1: there's not a special category for them in the drop down menu okay. as to what you're dealing with, whether it's leaves, blossom. Okay. But still, they will they will put if you report a bicycle as abandoned, they'll stick a notice on it and it'll be giving the owner time to retrieve it if they still want to, and that'll be gone within three weeks, I think it is.
0: Great. And and what about and what about like abandoned vehicles? Like if you see a car that's clearly nobody's going to use it, but it's just been sat there for right. ages, how do you deal with that?
1: Right. First first thing to do. Get on the internet again <laughs> and check to see whether the vehicle is taxed. I mean, quite often, if it's been sat there for months outside your property or something like that, and it's got weeds growing around the tyres, that's generally a good sign that it's been abandoned. So first thing is, check if it's check if it's untaxed. If it's untaxed, you can report it to... Either the DVLA or the City Council. Uh, the DVLA, I do know, go round regularly, check it, driving around the streets looking for untaxed vehicles, and they're pretty good at removing them.
0: So, so if there's a vehicle that's not been taxed, the DVLA... So this is also a, a good warning for any drivers out there who may have forgotten mm. to tax their vehicle. The DVLA might come and remove it if, you, if it's not taxed
1: exactly yes and if it's on a if it's on a sawn (coughs) excuse me what is what means a statutory off-road notice if any if say there's just one one wheel of that vehicle on the highway it can still be seized
0: Oh, so even right. if it's mostly on a private driveway, if yeah. a little bit of it is sticking out onto yeah. the pavement or the road, <coughs> the DVLA mm. might still come and take it yeah. away. Okay. I just
1: thought we'd mention untaxed and abandoned vehicles because I think they're the biggest thing that we get fly that I'd count as fly tipping round here.
0: Well you said, um so you're saying like B B S five tends to be a hotspot for it. People want, you know, don't don't need their car anymore and they just kind of leave it. Is that which is, is that right in the BS five? Yeah, well, we've area? got
1: we've got lots of little quiet little side streets where you can just pop something and nobody'll nobody will hope hopefully notice it for months. I mean, some of the abandoned vehicles that I've reported have taken six to nine months to get moved and Mm. There was an infamous one on the Stapleton Road a few years ago that took about four years to get removed. Oh, wow. We even had the police involved on that because its windows had all been smashed in. So
0: Yeah, because if, if is it true that if a car has been like damaged or if it's in a dangerous position, the police might it, get involved? If it's in
1: a dangerous condition...
0: Condition, okay. Yes,
1: then the police can get involved, but... Abandoned vehicles are an awkward one because they with, there are three parties involved. That's the local authority, there's the DVLA, and there's Mr Plod.
0: Right, and so it's not sometimes not quite clear which one of them has responsibility for dealing with it.
1: Exactly, yes.
0: So it's the best thing to do to report it to both the DVLA and the local authority. I would
1: I would recommend reporting it to both of them.
0: And see, see which one gets there first. Sort yeah. of thing. <laughs> Okay. I mean, yeah, no, that's, and and you can also, if you have an old vehicle, that's no good. You can also sell it for scrap, like you might get 50 quid for or something, but it, oh, be- yeah. which is, you know, better than, better than nothing at all. So you, a lot less than you probably paid for it. But um, so that is probably a better, a better way of dealing with old vehicles if you don't want them anymore. Oh, yes. Yeah. And can we talk a bit about the Cleaner Streets initiative because that's something that's sort of relatively recent and I'd like your thoughts on sort of well firstly what can you explain to listeners what it is and then what you think about it.
1: Right well the the latest thing on the Cleaner Streets is an initiative where the council are trying to get businesses to remove their commercial bins off the streets. So far it's been implemented in two areas that's Namely, the old city.
0: In in the centre.
1: In the centre, yep. And along the Stapleton Road corridor, up as far as Eastville Junction. What they've done is, all the trade bins are not supposed to be there anymore. Unless you happen to own the frontage in front of your shop, of course. In which case, you still have you been there.
0: And and what's the reason for that? What's sort of what's the, the thinking reason? behind removing the big right. bins? Right.
1: Well, I don't know whether anybody else has noticed, but it's you know, commercial bins tend to attract fly t- fly tipping. They're they're a bit like a magnet.
0: People think, oh, here's a bin. I'll just dump my don't stuff just next. Buy stuff here, yeah, yeah. And then the whoever deals with the bin will deal with mm. all of it. But then actually, like you say, it no it's more problems. i mean
1: it's not it's not there it's it's not the commercial waste management company's responsibility to deal with everybody else's waste only the stuff that's in the pins right and since it's been implemented on the Stapleton Road corridor, the amount of fly tipping on that main on that main road has dropped dramatically although and I know that the council enforcement are busy as as a consequence of that they're busy also monitoring the amount of fly tipping that's happening in the in the side streets coming off the Stapleton Road corridor
0: right in case in case they in case people are just moving it round the corner that's basically it, yes yeah. because
1: when you when you when you step hard on something everything goes splat
0: right yes yes yeah, so
1: the yeah. splat in this case being fly tipping in the surrounding streets
0: right yeah. okay okay so that so that seems to be working quite well that cleaner streets initiative of encouraging yeah, yeah. commercial businesses not to yeah. have their bins I'm not out the report, front
1: i'm not reporting as much stuff on the stapleton road now anyway
0: oh that's good okay um and then we've just got a few minutes left but just wondering um obviously you know this is something you've Uh, spent a lot of time looking into and uh, we know that obviously local authorities have budget issues at the minute but what other changes would you ideally like to see the council bringing in that in your research kind of might help tackle litter and fly tipping further?
1: Well one thing would be um, particularly in terms of litter would be getting better publicity for when we have public holidays bank holidays that kind of thing and your recycling collections change because we've had we've had three bank we've had three bank holidays this month we
0: and have yeah
1: i know that on a couple of them we've had very good we've had some decent weather on a couple of them although it has been a bit blowy and if the day changes most some people will actually put it out put their bins out early but leave them out until they get collected, in which case some of them have stayed out for a week. And, of course, if the wind blows, lots of stuff that's in the boxes gets blown around the streets. And,
0: and it's also then a mobility yeah. issue for people in wheelchairs or with prams struggling yeah. to get by on the pavement. So better yep. publicity about when actually to put your bins out around bank holidays or other changes yeah. would, be, would be a positive.
1: I mean, where, where I live in the middle of eastern. Bin day bin day is murder for pedestrians. It really is. You have to be you have to be a contortionist to fit down <laughs> to fit down between the bins and the park and the cars parked on the pavements.
0: Yeah, because I suppose the council would say, Oh, but we publicize it on our website.
1: I'm afraid that's not good enough. Not everybody. I mean, especially elderly people or people on a very, very people on a very, very restricted income, they might not be able to afford internet access well they might not want it <laughs> yeah so
0: you would say sort of better publicity better through publicity. through local media outlets or like leaflet drops
1: yeah or put it put it on the put it on the local radio in the local press that kind of thing
0: yeah okay um and there was um there was also something about you were saying about in is it in stoke-on-trent they're fining people for leaving their bins out on days that aren't bin days is that right
1: yes that's right yes yeah. well Um, my late mother, I was long distance. I was long distance IT support for her, So I used to go up every couple of months. So I got to, I got quite familiar with Stoke and the streets there are a hell of a lot cleaner and a hell of a lot tidier than they are in Bristol. And one of the reasons is the city council there is very hot on things like Finding fly tippers, they go out and they search through the any fly tipping they find to find evidence. And the other one is, you're only allowed to put your bin out on the collection day.
0: Oh, okay. From
1: seven o'clock in the morning until I think it's five in the evening, it has to be off the street again. Oh
0: wow, so quite strict. And
1: uh, yes, they and they have they have prosecuted people for that.
0: Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. So so something maybe that Bristol could consider in future i'm sure that would uh have i
1: think bristol has considered it and rejected it as a bit too draconian
0: i feel like 5 p.m feels a bit strict like some people don't get home from work till later but yeah, well
1: it might it, it might i don't know it might be later than yes. five i'll just throw that in Yeah. As, okay <laughs> it might be six <laughs> yeah
0: but yes that is i can yeah. see i can see the arguments both for and against that no, very good. Well, Steve, yeah. thank you so much for coming in. Is there any final uh, words you'd like to leave us with or any final things, you'd, messages you'd like to get out there?
1: No, just keep Bristol tidy. I'm trying to... <laughs> keep
0: Bristol tidy. Put your rubbish in the bins. Report yeah. fly-tipping when you see it. There's lots of local litter picking going on. Um, yeah, so join your local litter pick and give back to your community.
1: Yeah. I'll see you on the next one, Sharon. I'll see you on the next one at Barton
0: Hill. But, yeah, thanks very much. <laughs>
2: This is DCFM.
0: And now we have another guest. We've got a bumper show for you today. We have Annika from the Pernambuco Group. Hello, how are you? Good morning. Nice to be here. Well, thank you for coming in. Um, So yeah, please tell us all about uh, this group because it is a strings collective with a focus on raising support for the Trees of Music project. Is that right? right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, how did this come about?
2: Well, I'm a string player, I play the violin and I work with various orchestras and groups around the city and I teach violin um, and I've done many concerts in the city with different groups but I wanted to set up something new with a particular focus on ecological awareness um, and uh, Trees of Music is a campaign which I'm directing um, and we're planting Brazilwood which is otherwise known as Pernambuco. And there's a really beautiful connection of this particular tree because it's the wood that our bows are made from as string players and it's endangered... And there's like less than 2,000 of them left. And is
0: it's a tree from the Amazon rainforest? It's the Atlantic
2: Forest, which is actually, um, well, was like possibly bigger than the Amazon, but it runs the whole length of Brazil on the coast. And not many people know much about it because when we think of Brazil, we think of the Amazon. But the Atlantic Forest has greater biodiversity. It spans a multitude of um, altitudes. And the Pernambuco tree grows only within about 500 kilometers from the Atlantic Ocean. So it needs particular nutrients in that area. It's the only part of the world. And yeah, it's it's really endangered and there's not many left.
0: Amazing. And it's and it's good for, for string instruments, for your bows, for yeah. your strings. Yeah,
2: it's pretty much the only material that's been used for bows for the last 300 years. Wow. So like yeah.
0: all, if you go and see an orchestra, if you go and see any string, mm-hmm. they've, they've uh, quartet or whatever they're probably using this wood for their bows
2: totally yeah absolutely I mean there's been a modern wave of carbon fiber being used to make bows which are a pretty good um, comparative you know material apart from it like the really high end when you've got soloists who are doing really technical stuff they'll say that nothing compares to Pernambuco um, but we are seeing an increase in people purchasing carbon fiber as they realize um, you know what's happening with this tree and actually similar things have happened with like rosewood that's used to make guitars and you know it's it's the same story in many industries right we completely destroy one plant or one tree as, as a crop and and then we get to this point and we're like oh why right, how do we now protect it and conserve it so we're using that story as as a way to get into musicians minds and people who love music to say here's something really tangible here's something you you use as a string player you have in your hand and yet it is a symbol of the declining biodiversity and the ecological crisis so hopefully we can we can bring that story out by by doing concerts that you know have that in mind
0: amazing so yeah so the whole focus you're trying to raise awareness of it um Mm -hmm. by having specific concerts and music all about this to tell this story so what's so you've got your your inaugural concert coming up tell us all about it
2: so it's on Monday, 12th of June. It's so a Monday evening, which is a great evening to go and uh, see some live music. <laughs> um, it's down at the Loco Club, which is the tunnels underneath Temple Mead Station. If you've not been there before, I really recommend it because it's historically a fascinating space. It's like these underground stone vaults, which are the old ash pit tunnels. And the acoustic for... String instruments for classical music is stunning. It's really, really interesting how the sound is. It's lovely around. and
0: echoey, isn't it? Yeah. I've been... Uh, yeah, and it's sort of because it's like these arched vaults where mm. the trains used to be or there used to be storage and now it's, yeah. it's very atmospheric. They
2: literally dumped the ash like through those ceilings and these big vaults and cu- carted the ash along. So yeah it's a it's a crazy space <laughs> it's
0: also really nice and cool in summer like yeah, if you go true. in I remember last year in the heat wave I was there and yeah it was really hot outside and you went inside you're just like oh I'm just like in a nice cool underground yeah. bunker it's, yeah
2: that's true yeah so if it is a really hot evening it will be like a relief <laughs> um so yeah it's Monday the 12th of June starting about seven we'll you know have the bar open before that um, and we 'll probably play I think two short halves, like um, maybe half an hour each with an interval because we really want to give time for people to connect and talk and learn a bit about um, trees of music as a charity and and the cause. Um, but we have a really incredible lineup of musicians so i 've pulled together like some of the best string players i I know, um, and one percussionist as well Harriet Riley who's local. Um, Matthew Barley is our sort of star performer. He's quite a well renowned cellist and he's written three arrangements of Brazilian-inspired pieces, four-string ensemble and percussion. Um, I can't wait to play those. We've got our first rehearsal tomorrow, so I'm like really, really <laughs> excited to get, get my teeth into them. Um, and Simi Singh is another fantastic violinist. She's leading the ensemble. So it's about 12, 12 of us in the ensemble and then two soloists. So yeah, it's... Um, it's always exciting to get together a new group of people. I mean, most of us have met in different other groups over the years, um, but I really wanted to choose musicians who were sort of, you know, had a good level of ecological awareness and were ready to like be ambassadors to talk about this as, as a, a sort of tenet of what we're doing and not just, not just turn up to do a gig and play a concert, but like be kind of passionately embedded in, in the cause as well.
0: Right. So if people, if they're, I mean, if they're interested in the environment and or string music, this sounds like a great event to come along to. Mm. Um, and yeah, sort of what are you hoping will be the outcome from it? Sort of what are you, yeah. yeah, what's sort of the plan for the future if all goes
2: well? That's a really good question. Yeah. So this, this is our pilot performance. Um, so we really need to sell tickets. We really need your support <laughs> <laughs> to get us off the ground. because um, it's fully professional outfit um so so we are like we have a just giving page and you know please do get a ticket in advance to help us help us get going um if this goes well and hopefully we'll be getting some footage and really fantastic photos and stuff then we might apply for arts council funding along the way um and see where else we might want to take it i think we're going to see how we bond as a group of musicians and i've i've got kind of you know an inkling that it's going to work because i've chosen some really great people (laughs) um but yeah if it goes well we might go and do the same concert at festivals or in other cities or we'll develop the program we might work with other local composers um we've got three local composers works on the program as well so it's it's a mix of like um old you know we've even got Vivaldi on the program but then we've got something written like by Harriet Riley who lives in Fishponds you know so (laughs) 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 there's there's quite a nice range. (laughs) Vivaldi is not from (laughs) Fishponds
0: um I mean how do you pick the uh, because I'm I'm not I'm not that musical in terms of like instruments and mm. stuff so how, how do you pick like what to put on a program that mm. sounds like a big job
2: yeah it is a really big job and something you kind of lose sleep over because <laughs> you, <laughs> you 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 I, I guess for me like I start by picking stuff that I think sounds great and I, and then I start to go well how is that going to work together with that other piece I'd love to do and and then you start to try and work out the order of of the program like how are people going to feel when that first note happens and how are they going to feel like say at the end of the first half before they're going to go to the bar what do you want that feeling to be so you you have to kind of try and curate a journey um of the music evening you want you want to leave them wanting more you want to leave them on a high (laughs) and I think like so often with environmentally themed stuff there's a real debate around um telling the truth and the the truth is stark and depressing, actually, as I'm sure most of our listeners know the climate crisis is is raw and worsening every day, so there's a balance of like being hard hitting um but not kind of making not hitting people so hard they're then just apathetic or or turned off. you know they need to go away feeling active um so you did ask me what you know what do I want the outcome to be um I would love people to get excited about supporting Trees of Music or other ecologically focused charities, um, getting more active in their local areas and looking at, you know, that what's going on locally and also what's going on globally. And I think it's easier for us to kind of just protect our patch sometimes. And wouldn't it be wonderful if everyone in the world did that? It would be fine. Um, but looking at that globally um, as well. And um, I've just spent a month in Brazil earlier this year uh, meeting the people who are planting these trees and going around local communities, playing music with kids there, and genuinely feeling this this connection, which is something that music is so so wonderful for. We can we can connect across cultures and languages and divides. Um, so yeah, there'll be a bit of Brazilian music in the program, and hopefully that will bring a bit of the flair.
0: <laughs> yeah, because I w- I was about to ask like what what mm. what's currently going on to protect these trees, but it sounds like there is like a very concerted effort to yeah. plant to protect them but yeah. to um because you said there's like what less than 20,000 less than per- 2,000 less than 2,000 yeah. of these trees yeah. left so a very real danger of extinction
2: there really is yeah and you know in my month in Brazil I spent quite a bit of time trying to find mature trees um to see what they look like and the only ones really that I got up close to were in the botanical gardens in Rio where they're heavily protected um and there was you know a scientist i met who was aware of some other small populations but even when they find a mature population actually then negotiating with the local community wherever that might be um can then have its challenges as well and political challenges and and are
0: these trees in particular very valuable for um yeah for for
2: for harvesting or
0: is it just kind of land clearance in general for farming
2: um i think both have been a problem for this species there's been a lot of land clearance the atlantic forest has been reduced by about 96 percent in the last 100 years Mm. so it's really taken an absolute battering as i said all the news we hear is about the amazon but the atlantic is is a huge percentage of Mm. um of ground coverage in brazil um, and has a wider variety of species than the Amazon. So, in terms of protecting biodiversity and, and that variation, it's an absolute disaster. Um, but yeah, these trees have been logged um, before bow making. It was used as a dye wood, so it has a beautiful redness in the in the wood and in the bark. And it was used to dye uniforms for European military wow. for oh. for centuries. <laughs> what like <laughs> so, like red like yeah red like, and that, like, like that like bright red oh color. So it's ha- it's been really useful for lots of reasons, which has obviously contributed to its plight. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And yeah, sort of symbolic when you think about then what say like the British mm. military did yeah. over centuries <laughs> and centuries in terms of yeah um, contributing to uh, neo-imperialism and and climate breakdown which
2: is why you know part of that narrative that it is time for us to give back like we have taken so much from from these communities from this from this land particularly to to fuel you know classical music across Europe and and the whole world Um, and now we're seeing that decimation and it's it's really time to replenish and regenerate and give back, and the communities there that have used this wood and are using those traditional practices in the same way, they've arrested about forty bow makers in Brazil in the last year wow. for supposedly illegally um, smuggling the wood without the correct permits because it's obviously really heavily restricted. Um, and this is a really really tense conversation because. You know, these people are trying to make a trade and and make their bows and sell them, um, and the same people are the ones planting the trees as well. So they're kind of like doing <laughs> doing both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and we all need to have a big conversation and, and work together. But it's really complex, as it has been with many other um, animal products and, and materials all over the world. It's just one example.
0: Yeah, and and how the global north can step up and, like you say, sort of. uh yeah, give back when we've mm. taken so much. Well, well, this is fascinating. So if people want to come along, hear some beautiful music and learn more about this, uh, mm. remind people of the date and how they can book tickets and where it is and everything.
2: Sure, thank you. Yeah, it's Monday, 12th of June. So just under two weeks away, <laughs> <laughs> um, 7.30 at the Loco Club, which is under Temple Meads. And you can find out about us, uh, our tag is Pernambuco Group, and we're on Facebook, Insta, Twitter, all of that. Um, The tickets for the gig are on Headfirst, which I'm sure you know about if you're a Bristol gig goer, all the best tickets are on there. Um, And the charity that we're raising money for is called Trees of Music, so you can check out their website as well.
0: Amazing. Thank you. And so do you want to um, also do you want you've picked a song to uh, end this on and do you want to introduce this?
2: Well, there was there wasn't really a difficult choice. (laughs) I had to pick something with some Brazilian flair. And we are doing um, a really awesome rhythmic string arrangement of this very, very famous tune. Um, It's Girl from Ipanema.
0: And that was the Girl from Ipanema. And thanks so much to Annika for coming in and telling us all about that uh, gig coming up the Pernambuco group are doing an evening a concert at the local club uh, of classical music from a new strings collective all about raising support for the charity Trees of Music so if that's something you are interested in please uh, do check that out again it's Trees of Music is the charity and we are almost at the end of our show I'll just briefly cover some events coming up that you might be interested in so uh, the Bristol Energy Network annual conference is happening on the twenty fourth of June ten a uh, so Saturday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at King's Weston House. Um, so this is an annual energy transition conference. The theme for 2023 is Unleashing Community Energy and there will be uh, talks from lots of speakers across the country, a chance to see the new community-owned wind turbine in nearby Lawrence Weston. So if that is something you are interested in, then do Google that. I think you need to book tickets in advance. You can find it through Eventbrite. That is the Bristol Energy Network annual conference. Another thing that you may want to check out um, that recently happened was the Beyond Growth conference um, hosted in Europe. Um, and this didn't get a lot of mainstream media coverage. I heard rumors that um, because the conference was all about sort of not needing, uh, you know, GDP growth, economic growth, uh, that we can do without it, and that actually moving beyond it um, and not pursuing it is, is key to tackling the climate crisis, but that very few. Uh, news networks uh, wanted to talk about it but if you google the beyond growth conference uh, there's lots of the talks are online Um, really interesting Uh, it's all about you know uh, economic growth has been a key benchmark for success uh, for more than 100 years, but is that the right benchmark? And uh, yes, yeah, so this conference brought together thousands of people, different MEPs, was supported by the President of the European Parliament um, and took place earlier in May and aimed to discuss and co-create policies for sustainable prosperity in Europe, and I know Kate Raworth was there who wrote the book uh, uh, Donut Economics, um, which is a new way of thinking about economics in ways of not going beyond uh, our planet's boundaries while still providing for everyone. So you can have a look at all those. Uh, videos online. So I think that brings us to the end of our show. Thank you again to Steve and to Annika for coming in for the interviews and thank you our listeners for listening. Without you, there is no show. Please do join us next week when we are going to be talking to a Peruvian explorer and PhD scientist who has done projects for National Geographic. It is Dr. Rosa Vasquez Espinosa. Her career has spanned over a decade of groundbreaking research on topics ranging from Amazonian stingless bees to the microbial ecology of the extreme boiling river in the peruvian amazon so that should be an extremely interesting chat definitely one to tune into we'll be hearing all about her work over the years next up on bcfm is lunchtime with tristan b so keep it locked to bcfm for more tunes and chat but that is all from me shona gentry for now so uh so please take care have a good day look after yourselves look after the planet and look after each other This is the podcast version of One Love, One Planet, the award-winning environmental radio show, broadcast every Tuesday at 11am on BCFM Radio, available on 93.2 FM on digital radio and on the BCFM website. The show was produced and presented by Shona Jemfrey. You can find us on Twitter at Shona Jemfrey and at BCFM Radio.